The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello everyone and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of Provoke, and I'm joined with another podcast from and about Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity, um, where we all were just a few days ago on the beach. I'm joined today by two senior members of the W Communications team who came and hang out, hung out with us for a, a few days down on the beach. Um, first of all, we have John Wilkinson, who's the Associate Creative Director of the agency, and Jess Donahue, a director of W, one of London's most lauded and most creative consumer PR shops. So, John and Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very Hi, much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank it's, you. It's lovely to have you. I think I feel like we should fess up and say we did try. And- <laughs> <laughs> we did try and do this on the beach, and uh, it was let's just say it was more than ambient background noise, and uh, we thought it was it was probably better to do a rego when we've all kind of decompressed slightly and had to, uh, had a little bit more time to to reflect, and without people actually partying in the background. So. Um, uh, here we go again, but uh, it's lovely always to to see you both. First of all, I know it was for both of you your first time in Cannes at the festival. Can I just ask each of you what your impressions were of the madness that is Cannes? John, I'll start with you. Um, it was amazing. It was such an incredible th- sort of thing to see. Um, I think the one thing that sort of stuck out in my mind was just the breadth of everything that was going on. Um, I think when you see Cannes from afar, you maybe see the titaniums, you see the film, you see maybe some out home stuff. Obviously, we're very interested in the PR awards, but there are so many agencies, so many awards, so many incredible brands. Um, I don't feel like we soaked up even a, you know the tiniest portion of it, but what we did was amazingly sort of invaluable. So um, I definitely love to go again. I think it's the sort of thing that you probably learn more and more every year. But yeah, the 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 breadth of what's going on and the the entries is just amazing. Were you were there any surprises for you? I mean, just like with the vibe, what you expected down there? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think everyone's up for a good time, which I really like. I think you know, there's lots of people that I think we've all been to our fair share of um, networking events or awards, maybe here in London, um, where people are a bit more closed off. It's a bit more maybe um, what's the word? Uh, serious a bit more professional and I think maybe in Cannes people are much more willing to say hey what do you do um start talking to you about your work you start to learn about different things you know I spoke to all sorts of people from uh people who book ads on the radio all the way through to the people that are sort of measuring the success through to um big ad creatives and PRs like ourselves so um yeah I think it was exactly almost what I was expecting and more I guess is what I'd say Okay, cool. Thank you. Jess, what about you? First impressions? Yeah, I think probably echoing what John said, which was entirely struck by the vastness of it all. Um, I I don't think I realised what um, an operation it was to to kind of put on, but also like just the incredible inspiration from across the world. I think we're all probably victims of looking at our own market 
um, more than any other. And it was really nice to have an opportunity to kind of um, stop and have a look at everything. Um, and then also from a the PR side, John's obviously from our creative team, there's probably a lot of um, preconceptions about Cannes and it being sort of a festival for the creatives. But I actually think from a kind of um, an operational perspective, there was so much to learn as well. Um, and I think probably finally is like just the um, fact that, you know, it being an advertising festival and us walking in and, and learning that actually so much of the success is still measured through the earned lens and mm. um, kind of struck me a little bit and, and um, I was obviously delighted with yeah, it's a re- it's a great it's a great leveler, and it's kind of integration in action, isn't it? Can in the, on a, on a very human level because you do like John said, you bump into all sorts of people from across the creative industry spectrum. Everyone's in shorts and flip flops, and it like there's not those same barriers as to just chatting. Particularly where we were on the little black book and friends beach, it did feel a lot like everyone was approachable. It was, it, it's not the same sort of, there's no hierarchy in can basically of agencies or uh, personnel, is there? Entirely, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, now you've slightly decompressed from the madness. I, w- I hope you've had a chance to think about what your your lessons would be from from can lions so uh john do you want to kick off with maybe a couple of things that you learned definitely i think there are lots of things i've taken away in terms of uh things that i've learned about the industry but i guess the one thing that i've sort of brought home to london and brought back to w is um the sort of boldness the sort of strategy of being really bold i think i was especially sort of blown away by some of those titanium lions that we sort of when we saw those um saw the award ceremony, saw David Drover speak. He made some really interesting points around uh, things like AI. I thought it was really interesting that uh, the metaverse is completely, you know, off the table. Nobody's talking about that anymore. We're not, you know, I don't think either of us are particularly surprised by that, but it did feel like AI was definitely having its moment. David Droger called it out um, quite interestingly in his sort of speech. He was saying how yes, I can understand that there might be a bit of an existential threat and people in this room are worried about their jobs. However, there's no such, there's no replacement for human creativity. And I thought that was a really positive outlook and it's definitely one that I share. I think we talk about the use of AI and there's lots of brands and briefs on the table that want to maybe start talking about that in one way or another. Um, but it's only as useful as a, as a sort of tool that we can use. You know, it's another tool in the arsenal. It's another thing that you might be able to deploy. And I think there's been some really interesting um, campaigns. I think quite a few campaigns from Dove sort of took on the sort of more sinister aspects of AI. I think there was one called um, Deviant Voice, which was all about the sort of AI learning model on TikTok and how there's actually quite a lot of... Um, incorrect things that sort of teenagers are picking up on and I think that built on the amazing work that they did last year with that campaign around um, toxic influence and how mums and daughters needed to learn a bit more about what they were maybe learning online Um, but then there were loads of really fun things you know I think there was that um, the Heinz ad around uh, describe a bottle of ketchup and all of those really fun things there's paper ways of sort of going about it and I think that was something that I found really interesting that although the metaverse met- seemed to completely um, lose its voice we weren't scared as an industry sort of wider industry to um, talk about AI like it's another technology is it going to be 
the metaverse of 2023 is that what 2024 is going to be we won't be talking about ai anymore i don't personally think so um so i found that super interesting but yeah the idea of being bold in general i just think there were so many ideas and so many things that i thought wow i sort of don't know if i'd feel comfortable pitching that to a client but it made me realize that if you know if that's what's going to be winning those the biggest awards in the industry mm we can feel a bit braver and especially in our um in our own industry and in PR in our own sort of little circle that sometimes we don't break out of um maybe we are too focused on um what we think the client would want rather than what we think is actually going to create an amazing campaign and sort of affect some real change in the world yeah that message about um PR creatives being bolder in coming up with the big ideas came through so loud and clear from the PR Lions jury as well. You know, there's a certain measure of frustration. Obviously, there's um, Jan, Ro- Jan Robertson, the president of the jury, pointed out that it is a numbers game. It's just like simply there are thousands of entries from, from ad agencies and still relatively few from PR agencies. But, yeah, the idea of just, you know, st- sticking your neck out and being being brave enough and uh, earning your... Uh, earning your space at the head of earned effectively and coming up with those big ideas and also the AI thing is I mean there was not a single discussion that wasn't about AI but yeah. I, I think this was still this was the last year where I mean next year's entries can you imagine like every single one of them is going to have an aspect of of AI in it I guess I mean I, mean, I do remember writing a story about W being the first agency to set up in the metaverse and it's really you guys have always like had first mo- mover advantage on stuff, but Cam's really interesting how quickly you get the temperature of things moving on. It's like when I first went, which was maybe like seven, eight years ago, it was all about virtual reality headsets. Like everyone's just like, this is going to be, this is going to change everything. You know, this is the, you know, the, going to be augmented reality and virtual reality are going to be the center of every earned campaign. And then everyone, oh, we haven't got 5G sorted yet. And that sort of fizzled out. And it's a uh, it's it's really interesting temperature taker, I think, of where things are going in terms of people's hopes and fears and um, opportunities for the for the industry, isn't it? Definitely. And I think there's you know, there's so much to be said for sort of utility. There's always the next big shiny thing. And I think that's definitely what the metaverse was. There's still loads of amazing things that can be done in the metaverse. You're still seeing all sorts of brands still have their shops there they still have storefronts in the central land and the rest of it i think it's just not the 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 thing of the moment and it's sort of it's now in the background you'll still see things being activated it just won't be the thing that maybe is being entered into um innovation campaigns and award ceremonies and things like that and that's what's interesting i think about ai is is it is the bubble going to burst or are we still going to be talking about it in two or three years yeah who knows just do you want to tell me one of your lessons Sure. Um, obviously, as you say, AI being the big one, I suspect that we'll see a seismic shift in the entries next year based on all of that new technology. But one which is probably a bit more basic, um, I can get my head around, is the sort of balance between purpose, purpose and, and playfulness. And I think this year we really saw the the winners um, that came through. There was, I'm going to make this up. It, it felt like a 50-50 split. Um, and perhaps more kind of leaning into the sort of playful um, space than it has been over the last few years, which also probably makes quite a lot of sense. But as a as a kind of attendee and being there for the, for the week, there was um, 
there was lots of things that certainly put a smile on on my face mm. um, and also some of the wins that we came away with were certainly um from that ilk as well so um that was great to see any other big takeaways for either of you from the festival um probably other one from me was the impact of um creators this year obviously as you say it's been our first year but i suspect tiktok didn't always have such a sort of seismic plot on the um, cassette and um, I suspect they'll probably only continue to grow but equally the kind of um, uh, whether they're TikTok or not just generally creators and their presence at workshops and at talks and the kind of crowds that they can pull and mm-hmm. um, probably not dissimilar to some of the bigger name celebrities that also go each year so um, I suspect that will c- kind of continue, particularly as I think ad agencies can see the merit in working with them in a, in a pay capacity and, and above the line. Yeah, TikTok famous is very much a thing with uh, with the younger generation of audiences, isn't it? They take they pay far more attention to to those kinds of influences than what we would consider traditional celebrities in in some senses, which is interesting when you're working with influence influences quite a lot as you do with the you know some of the huge consumer brands in your stable, I guess. absolutely and john did you have anything um you want else you wanted to add about your your lessons from the festival i think mine's sort of building on what jess was saying but i did find it really interesting walking around um not just the festival itself but the whole um closet that some of the brands that had the biggest presence there probably 10 or 15 years ago nobody had heard of um you know i'm thinking about the spotify's the tiktoks these like amazing sort of tech forward brands, very app based brands. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's always the sort of, I guess, part of being a creative is sort of being interested in what's coming up and maybe what's going to change. Is that the future of the entire festival? Are we going to be looking more and more towards more brands? What are the brands that we're talking about right now that in five or 10 years are going to be taking over the Carlton and hosting the sort of the closing parties? I think that's something that always makes me interested in, you know, can you back the right horse? What's um, what's coming down the tracks and who's going to be sort of influencing culture and giving us those massive briefs in, you know, the sort of mid to near future? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting how the balance of what goes on at Cannes has evolved and shifted over the years. And that kind of fringe, the tech heavy fringe with the, you know, the big beaches, the big parties, pulling the big um uh celebrities and influencers to their talks is just it's almost taken over the stuff the official stuff that goes on in the in the palais I'm, I'm sure cam won't thank me for this but you really don't <laughs> you don't need a pass to get the best out of the festival now so you know as long as you as long as you signed up for that wristband a few weeks in advance you're you're into so many good things loads of people said to me um, the Inkwell Beach was really good. I had some great content throughout the week. Female Quotient Lounge throughout the week. The Equality Lounge has always got an amazing program on. Loads of stuff that the big holding companies were back in force this year, I noticed as well. You know, the Omnicom, IPG, mm-hmm. Havas, uh, even Publicis seem to be getting their head around being back at Cannes after kind of um, uh, swanning off a few years ago. Um, so yeah, it's it's re- the evolution of it is really really interesting. Um, I you guys obviously had quite a lot of success in the in the metal as they call it and the and the gongs at the at the festival. Tell me a little bit about what you came home with. 
Oh, I'm, I am pleased, as you said, that we get to do a redo because there was actually a couple more on Friday night and our last report was on Thursday. So we can actually give you a proper tally now. I also think last time I potentially was making up numbers. So I think final tally came in at seven across three different campaigns. Um, two of them are Unilever campaigns for Marmite and Pot Noodles, so some of our sort of local jewel brands, as we call them, um, and then a third campaign for Breast Cancer now. Fantastic. And were you were you happy? I mean, did you expect to win stuff? Did you know the work was strong enough? Um, and yeah, I mean, listen, we would always, you know, hope we're delivering work that could win awards. It was such a whirlwind and I can probably only speak on behalf of the, the uni brands, but it, the campaigns were such a whirlwind. I'm not sure we really anticipated it until we had actually shortlisted. And mm. um, we only did them a kind of a couple of months ago. And there was obviously lots of work that was submitted from last year. And there was a bit more time to kind of marinate on things. So, um, yeah, we were completely delighted. I mean, it's the best year we've ever had as an agency. So the fact that we were kind of there and able to soak it all up was um, an amazing opportunity for us. Would you, yeah. would, you, would you recommend that PR agencies are like don't just dismiss can as being out of reach but actually go that was a bloody good bit of work that's definitely lions worthy to be honest i think that was probably one of the biggest outtakes we had particularly kind of what we what we've said to, to the team internally which is we need to be braver with submissions and mm. um, there was some amazing work um but you know and obviously um speaking in, from a, a bias sense here but i think we you know we deliver some of the work um, which is, you know, as good as if not better than some of the campaigns that came through. So 100%, I think we're on the cusp of actually probably a lot of PR starting to see the merit, the value in in entering. Um, and also you can see, as I said before, like, you know, from even from the advertisers that are, are entering campaigns, they're still measuring in earns. So there's no reason we can't be stacking up against that. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it comes down to the, I mean, I know we're 12 years into the PR lines now, so it's like it's kind of getting increasingly frustrated that agencies aren't getting the message, as you clearly have, that it is definitely worth going for it. You do have the metrics. And it's that that two-minute video that the judges see first. There's like half the industry's got an in-house production studio now. There's absolutely, that's not an excuse anymore, is it? Not being able to put together a great video case. Sure. so true and i think there's so much to be said for um not only the point that you know a lot of the um, winners outside of the category are using earned to measure success but also within the pr category um i think we're so afraid maybe that we haven't got enough tension or we haven't got enough um of a sort of world bending issue um to talk about but actually going back to some of the wins um the pot noodle win is about as irreverent as it can get, as is as was the Marmite win. I think, you know, we had one win for breast cancer now, which is a very serious topic and a really amazing campaign, the sort of world's first um, sort of reality, almost TV show that played out on Instagram, oh, sorry, on WhatsApp that you could um, follow along with. And that was amazing. And I think that really deserved an award, but that won a bronze, whereas um, asking a... a a pothole campaigner named Mr. Pothole to fill literal potholes with pot noodle um, won us a gold. And I think that goes to show that um, maybe we don't need, it's not this um, out of reach holy grail that we maybe think it is. Mm. Um, and actually a lot of the things that we do that drive a lot of relevance that get incredible mainstream coverage and that clients are delighted with can also be can worthy. They don't always have to be 
the more sort of navel gazing, um, everyone sort of stroking their chin saying, oh my God, that was such an important issue. Well done for raising awareness of that. There's 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 room for both. And tell me about your Marmite campaign as well. Which, which one won? Which one won? Um, Marmite Babies, um, which was, I guess, a, a sort of social experiment to find out whether you could um, have a lover or a hater in the womb before your, before your baby was born. So um, feeding expectant mothers Marmite, and then you can, you can physically literally see a, a baby um, react in the womb, whether they like it or not. So we were able to sort of decipher whether they were lover or haters. It was super playful um, and obviously um, a lot of fun. Um, but again, I think we perhaps, you know, in a traditional sense, the la- I think the last um, can we won for Marmite was for the Gene Project, which was perhaps a little bit more serious and, and took, you know, um, multiple months, if not a year to, to work on. So I think we probably went in with lesser expectations on this one. And um, that won two goals. It's really interesting. This is another thing that came out of my jury panel session. The judges really wanted to see, I mean, you touched on that balance of kind of purpose and more lighthearted stuff. They really want to see great commercial campaigns that have business impact that were fun as well this year, as well as the purpose driven stuff, which is the bread and butter of can. And one of the one of the jurors pointed out, he said, look, humour is the most underrated emotion it can because it's a purpose-driven campaign that is kind of really world-changing, that addresses big societal and human issues that makes you cry, that makes you feel, but, you know, sad emotions or really resonates with you in, in a, what we would call an emotional way is super powerful. But making a whole room of people smile and even laugh is is really hard to do. And that's also kind of measurable impact as an emotional reaction to campaigns, isn't it? Just that that sense that I don't know if it's maybe a post-pandemic thing that we just we do really, really are, are all looking for stuff to make us laugh and kind of escape at the moment. Sure. And our um our our client from Marmite, who was in the auditorium when um they were awarded also said it was one of the only videos that were played that actually had people laughing and I think to be able to do that when we have the British obviously have a unique sense of humour and layer on top of that the fact that most of the world don't know what Marmite is I think just just shows what a a powerful creative it was. I find it really interesting and this is again something that um, not having been to a can before I'm definitely going to sort of brought back to WHQ is that there's a in each um uh, write up there's a point that says why is this relevant to your market because I think that's one of those things is you know I always thought how can you you can't make the entire world laugh um, well I don't think there's many things that are that universal but there's a point where it says you know these things are really relevant to your market pot noodle and marmite being specifically British and then looking at some of the other things that won something that really tickled me was um, that Skittles lime relaunch where they sort of spoofed America's uber corporate um, culture and they did a corporate apology to something like 130,000 people individually. I think that's that's obviously very American. I don't think that would really land maybe better in the UK, but definitely not all over the world where that uber litigious sort of way of living just doesn't exist. But they took that, they ran with it and it ended up winning. And I think that's one of the things that I've sort of said to the team coming back here is that it doesn't need to be an internationally understood 
concepts, the creative just has to be good and it has to make sense within that market. I think the jury do actually spend quite a lot of time looking at cultural context as well. Mm-hmm. It, do, it does feel, you're right, it doesn't have to be some enormous global integrated thing. It can be very rooted in the the popular culture of the place it's from and still translate as long as, you know, you the, there's somebody to... The, either through the entry or through one of the jurors can kind of say well this is this is why this is so good and why it matters and why it's funny and um you know why why it's great work for this market it's um yeah it's a fascinating process when you work out what they've actually the discussions they've had now that's that's some of that you've talked about some of the work you liked and that was was notable as well as your own um, brilliant wins. Tell me what else won your hearts. I know you guys really like to do a deep dive into into the winning campaigns and and always learn from that. But what what did you love this year? I think there were, there were a few. One that really stuck out stuck out for me that I've been sort of banging on about to the team back here is the um, the unburnable book from Penguin. Um, the idea is that essentially, you know, the censoring um, books and the sort of uh, ultimate expression of that literally burning them in the US has been an issue for decades. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird used to be one of the most banned books in the world. And then Margaret Atwood penned The Handmaid's Tale. And right wing commentators um, have sort of been calling for this book to be banned. It is the most banned book in US history. And there's lots of calls for these books to be burned. They're wrong for our kids. And, you know, there's a real furore around there, which I find really interesting. And um, Penguin really took a stand and created this unburnable book. And I think it's a fun way of sort of, you know, lightly sticking two fingers up to that establishment. But also it's just a, it's a funny, easily understood way of saying like, this is what we stand for. Like on the deeper level as a publisher, we're about freedom of speech. We're about sort of freedom of education. Um, And I guess the icing on the cake is the author herself stood there uh, with this humongous flamethrower trying to burn her own book, but it just it just won't catch. And I think it's one of those campaigns. That I guess the reason I love it so much is it has those layers. You see that picture, you sort of laugh, you're intrigued, you want to know a bit more. Then you go, okay, it's about censoring, and then you go, oh wow, that's what penguins stand for. They're sort of anti that on a much more deeper level, and you can engage with the first level all the way down to the third, but it's still really fun. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was a stunning campaign. Just what 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 won your heart at Cannes this year? Um, probably slightly more lighthearted. Um, but I was a big fan of Vintage Drip, um, obviously by Heinz and um, Ketchup. Um, and that was their kind of creation of a capsule fashion collection, all featuring um, ketchup stains. Um, and I think the, re- the reason I like that is... Um, it was obviously strong insight. We've all been there. Like, I think pretty much everyone in the world has had their clothes ruined at some point by <laughs> a, drop of, um, a drop of ketchup. But largely it was like, I just love the fact that they kind of um, were able to embed it in in um, culture. So, you know, everything they did from aping the language in the fashion world. So a drip instead of a, a drop. Um, and also the, the, the moment it was launched around Fashion Week, I just thought it kind of hit all the marks in terms of combining a really strong insight, which was brand centric, let's be honest, uh, which we often struggle with um, as PRs, uh, but combining that with a really kind of relevant societal issue, and um, obviously to, to help um, minimise the impacts of the um, fast fashion economy. And then ultimately creating a really culturally rich campaign. So that's probably my one of one of my faves. OK, what else then? 
um, I think something that we both loved and something that we actually picked up, it won a titanium, which I thought was really interesting. I find the whole concept of the titanium lines really fascinating, but it also won a silver, I think, in PR. And I think this goes to show that, you know, I'm pretty sure it, it probably won in every category that it um, that it entered and it was bring home the bud. And, you know, the idea that um, beer basically as Budweiser is one of the main sponsors of the World Cup in Qatar, beer then not being allowed to be sold. They're then left with all of this ridiculous amount of stock. What are they going to do about it? Um, they sent out a tweet that said, I think something like, well, this is really awkward. They then hastily deleted it, just enough time to let uh, media sort of catch on, which I thought was very clever. And then they turned the entire campaign into a challenge to the sort of, not just the fans, but the teams themselves, saying we will supply this entire, um, our entire supply to the winning team and we're going to turn up in your capital city and we're going to throw you the biggest party. And I think to pivot that quickly um, as a, you know, you can imagine the calls flying around after that um, statement was made from Qatar. And to think there's an opportunity here, rather than battening down the hatches and thinking, okay, crisis comms, we're just going to do as little as possible. We're going to slowly slink away from the World Cup and instead... Pivot, pivot to the to the non-alcoholic version of your beer. Exactly. <laughs> like, like it never happened, like yeah. we were never going to sell alcohol anyway. And instead to go, hey, that's absolutely fine. We're not even really going to talk about the issue we're going to talk about the competition. And I thought that was just, A, the assets, you know, these these um, shipping containers of beer being carted around different cities, engaging people, all of the social stuff that came out of it, the press results were obviously absolutely incredible. And then that sort of final moment, seeing the ridiculous party with um, Budweiser um, logos and all of their sort of different uh, sort of brand identity all throughout Buenos Aires, I just thought, it was a really fun campaign that act, that was genuinely global that you know spoke to everyone and i think we always whenever there's a big sporting moment like the world cup the olympics anything like that that's your must be your gold standard for how you sort of leverage that and how people sort of look back from years to come yeah leveraging the world cup without anybody being able to drink beer at the world cup was uh, was, was that was that was um super strong wasn't it that was a really yeah. clever one I wanted to ask you both, what did you think, now we know who the, the Grand Prix winner was in the PR category, the, the love bouquet. Um, there's been quite a lot of controversy about this since, <laughs> since Thursday last week um, when the winners were actually uh, announced. What did you two think of it? Um, I, it probably wouldn't have been my Grand Prix pick, I have to admit. I say what I what I do like about it, what I did like about it was its simplicity um, and the fact it was entirely earned. So there was no sort of supporting app from an advertising agency. It felt like a true kind of um, quick and dirty, I want to say, PR idea. Um, I guess what I found challenging with it well, and, and the reason I perhaps would have never have pitched it to a client was the way it kind of conflated Valentine's Day with single women and the sort of perceived lack of pleasure that they must have in their lives. It just felt like culturally that was a bit of a miss and perhaps not the most progressive of, of insights. Um, as I say, clearly um, not everyone agreed with me, but if, if it were me, I don't think I, it's an idea I would have actually have pitched to the client in the first place. Yeah, Paul was quite critical of it in his rundown, which is behind our paywall, but Paul Holmes's annual rundown where he ranks the 
the winners, the gold winners in the category. He was a little bit, he was, he was, he just sounded completely confused by the whole thing. But, uh, you know, the jury were absolutely committed to the decision they've made, which was really interesting. John, yeah. what did you think of it? Yeah, I think the same. I think it is, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of, any of it. It's the, the building blocks are there, you know, you have a quite a strong insight, you do some really amazing research, the results that they seem to get off the back of that were incredible. And, you know, it did get a lot of pick up. So I totally understand uh, A, why it's entered and B, why it's shortlisted. I just think the the thing that makes it stand out is this sort of quote unquote breaking of a taboo, this idea that people aren't comfortable talking about masturbation, talking about self-pleasure, which A, feels, I don't know, I, I find that hard to believe in the world that we live in, especially when they reference so much about TikTok um, throughout the campaign which feels like a very sort of sex positive place yeah um, it just yeah it was a surprise I guess to see a Grand Prix if it had maybe won a gold or a silver I don't think we'd be talking about it and sort of nodding along so much but to be the only one that's going to take that sort of grand prize um, yeah I maybe think it, it could have had a few more elements to it maybe could have been a bit grander but um, hey that's sort of where we ended up <laughs> that's where we ended up uh yeah interesting interesting choice um but thank you both very much for giving all of those campaigns such a such a great overview and consideration and uh huge congratulations on on w's big haul this year um it was yeah it was great it was great to see british agencies or british headquartered agencies do so well this year but thank you both so much. Will you be back next year? Let's hope so. Yeah, he's we've, hoping. We've put in our bid to, to Warren, so <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> I will hopefully see you both on the cross set next year. But uh, in the meantime, John, Jess, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, thank you, Maya. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast. Brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.